presence known in this place this morning. Lord, your word says in Acts chapter 1-8 that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. We believe that's here right now. There's a presence in this room, God. And we know that when your spirit is in the house, anything is possible. Mountains move, diseases are healed, strongholds are broken. Father, I pray this morning right now for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit in this place. I pray for whatever is blocking us from being able to worship you, whatever Satan has put, whatever traps he has set today will be removed so that we can experience the life, the abundant life that you have promised us in John chapter 10. We are sick and tired of being robbed by the enemy. Not today. Not today. We plead the blood of Jesus in this place. That the enemy is destroyed by the blood of Jesus and by the word of our testimony of all that he has done. And we declare that over this place this morning. Father, let our ears be attentive to that of what the Spirit has to say to us. Let our lives be moved in such a way that when people encounter us, they'll see the Spirit of God, the active, living Spirit of God dwelling within our lives, guiding us to further His kingdom and His kingdom alone. So Lord, just help us today to be open, to be willing, and to receive your spirit in this place. We pray these things in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Amen and amen. You know, I, I believe the enemy wants nothing more than to distract us from the things that are important. He wants to scare us away from things like the Holy Spirit. Because he knows that what separates life from abundant life is the Holy Spirit. He knows what will rob a church so quickly and what will rob a follower of Jesus so fast is if he can get you to be uneducated about the Holy Spirit and to be scared and nervous and weirded out by things that aren't meant to be weirded out. Can I just tell you, moves of God are not weird. They're biblical. They're of Jesus, they're of God, they're of the Father. And what we see in the Bible, especially in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit comes upon the people, there is a power. That word there is dunamis in the Greek. It means there is an explosive change. When, when this Holy Spirit comes in, there is such a change that happens that whatever the state of that was before the power hit it is completely changed. The changing of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible tells us that the day in Acts chapter 1-8, that he tells us that we will receive that power when we accept Christ, when we become followers of Jesus, we will accept this power, we will, we will have it, it will indwell within us. And we will be able to do incredible things through Jesus, through the Father. I believe moves of God still happen. I believe families are still finding relationships to be rebuilt 
I believe that people's addictions are absolutely broken because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you, and I'll plead this with you this morning, that the same Holy Spirit that was at work throughout the Gospels is the exact same Holy Spirit that's at work today. And He can do now what He did then. And He will do now what He did then. I believe that. And I'll say that so that you can feel like you can go out and fight hell with a water pistol. I'm saying that because you need to know that God has given you empowerment to do more than just us sitting here and listening to teachings and moving away with it. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit. Be resilient about the Holy Spirit and rely less on our self-empowerment because there's a work that he wants to do. The Apostle Paul had some very strong words about this in the book of Ephesians. He's writing to the church in Ephesus. And he says this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But listen, to this is an interesting statement. He, he says, don't, don't get drunk with wine, because that's debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melodies to the Lord, with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God, the Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. He says we're submitting to one another out of reverence for Jesus. There's three questions I want us to answer this morning. Because I believe if we're, if we're falling under spiritual attack and we're having to say not today Satan, one of the things that we can boldly proclaim when he's attacking us and saying, hey, not today, is that when the Holy Spirit has at work within us, he can't get close to that. So there's three questions I want to answer today. Number one, what is the feeling of the Holy Spirit? When does that happen? And how does that happen? This is going to be a little bit more theological this morning. You okay with that? Because I believe you have to be empowered. And so we're going to answer those three questions. So why don't we just start with the first one? What is the filling of the Holy Spirit? probably have heard that depending on especially in the circles that maybe you have grown up in and by the way let's throw all denominational understanding of the holy spirit out the window can we do that let's get a biblical approach to what it is because i believe that we have packaged the holy spirit in such a way that people are scared to touch it right i grew up in churches that i always felt like they locked the holy spirit in the janitor closet because they did not know what to do with it right we were not allowed to raise our hands past our shoulders unless we were voting on a new pastor that's the way it worked and even then, that didn't work out well. This word filled means to literally be intoxicated. To be intoxicated. And, and in the Greek, this word here, intoxicated and filled, is the exact same word that was used in Luke chapter 4, verse 28, when they're coming at Jesus, and they said that they were filled with anger. To be intoxicated, completely consumed. And... Paul here is giving us this comparison of being drunk with wine and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, when you just read that, it just seems really odd that did they have a drinking problem and all of a sudden he decides just to move into a sermon about the Holy Spirit. Paul is tying these two things very closely together for a very good reason. Because he wants us to understand something about these comparisons with being drunk with wine and being filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, when, when you are drunk alcohol consumes every part of you i hope that you don't know this from experience but it controls your reflexes your speech 
especially your driving, everything is controlled and affected by alcohol. So they don't have to go and take samples out of your stomach to determine if you're drunk. They can just take blood because the alcohol just permeates everything within the body. It, it takes over everything in the body. It's everywhere in you. To be filled by the Spirit is when the Spirit takes up full residence in your life, in your heart, and you become alive with emotion for Him. Your heart is moved for the things of God. You want to do the things of God. That this is priority. This is number one. That God becomes central in your life. And everything else comes out of that because of your relationship with Him and the empowerment of the Spirit. And so Paul contrasts the filling of the Spirit here with being drunk in wine. And, and there's some way that being filled with the Spirit is similar to being drunk with wine, but then there's others that makes it not similar or dissimilar. So let me, let me talk to you about some things that would be similar here with the Holy Spirit and, and, and alcohol. Alcohol captivates your bodies. We, we, we just said that. It affects thinking, controls responses. Uh, it causes certain things that normally won't bother you. Now they will bother you. And then there's some things that bother you that now won't bother you. It removes inhibitions. And throughout the book of Acts, when somebody is filled with the Holy Spirit, they get really bold. I've been to a lot of South Carolina Gamecock football games. And we can be down by 100 points, but there's going to be the one drunk person in the stand that is really bold and wants to fight the biggest dude in the stadium, looking for two losses in one night. And so when somebody is filled with the Spirit, there is this boldness and there is this courage. If you look at Peter, Peter had denied Jesus three times. And then we fast forward into the book of Acts, and all of a sudden there is this boldness that he begins to preach the gospel in the book of Acts because he has been empowered with the Spirit. A long sermon, by the way. And he's preaching, and he's telling the Jewish people, you're the one that killed the Messiah. That's pretty bold. Because he had watched all the disciples, you know, worried about risk of death because after the crucifixion of Jesus, where are the disciples? Well, they're hiding out of fear that they're next. But Paul, I mean, Peter here, has been filled with the Spirit, and he just turns loose with this boldness after denying the Messiah three times that he even knew him, preaches, and 3,000 people come to know Christ in that day. What kind of theological training did Paul have? Who ordained, I mean, Peter, who ordained Peter to be a pastor? What training did he have? He was with Jesus for three years, and he allowed the Holy Spirit to move within him because he was boldly testifying before hostile audiences that Jesus is Lord. We see it in Acts chapter 2. We see it in Acts chapter 4. The same thing happens with Stephen in Acts chapter 7 and the whole church in Acts chapter 4. There's something amazing that happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon the, his body, when he comes upon our body. It says that people that were listening were astonished at their boldness. Not at them, just their boldness to be able to proclaim this, to, to preach this. There's a mentality today in most of our churches is that you only need one spirit-filled person in the room. Uh, we'll always go to this person to pray for us because they're the most spirit-filled person in the room. What, what if 
everyone here in my voice this morning were spirit-filled and they went out in power with the Holy Spirit and went in our community, what would that look like? If every person in here under the sound of my voice were to hear the Holy Spirit, to be spirit-filled and would move that into our community, what would our community look like? I believe it would change our community. No doubt. Because a lot of the issues that we face won't be issues anymore. Because people would fall in love with who Jesus is through the work of his spirit. And so the presence of God is when the spirit of God makes God's attributes come alive in you. To, to be, when, when, Paul, when Peter, or Paul here, I don't know why Peter and Paul are getting so mixed up this morning. So if I mess that up, just change it out, fill in the blank. When, when Paul is writing this, he's telling them, don't, don't get drunk with wine. I want you to be filled with the Spirit. I want every part of you to be intoxicated with that of the Spirit. Everything. Every part of your life. Don't try to compartmentalize. But every single thing. That's the similarity. Now, there are some dissimilarities. The same things that, that are dissimilar. I don't know where that word came from. But here are a few ways of being filled with the Spirit. It's not like being drunk. Number one, alcohol deadens you to reality. That you lose track of what's going on around you because nothing's really real anymore because you have, have numbed yourself and numbed your pain. Sometimes people like it because it dulls pain, gets rid of it. But here's the problem with alcohol. I can't say that I want alcohol to get rid of this one feeling and let everything else be normal. Because remember, it takes control of everything when there's too much. So it can't select one part of your brain, dull it so you just lose reflexes and lose thoughts in that process. It's everything. You lose your awareness. So by contrast, the Spirit makes us more alive. doesn't deaden it. doesn't numb the pain. doesn't numb our realities. It doesn't make us have these false realities. Matter of fact, the Spirit will bring, make us more alive. My watch just said that I fell down. Did y'all see me fall? <laughs> Maybe it's prophecy that I'm about to fall out and slain in the Spirit. We'll see. See, I don't know. She's going to be flopping around like a fish. The Spirit makes you more alive. If we look at the Bible, there are verses that are leading up to this text that we just read in Ephesians. So in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says this. I want you to look carefully then how you walk. Okay? Because what's the first thing? I hope, again, I hope you don't know this from experience. But if you were to get pulled over and they suspected you of drinking, what's one of the tests that they're going to do on you? See how you walk, right? Because if you can walk a straight line, you might be okay. But, but if, you, if you're just walking all over the place, swerving back and forth, they're going to know something's up. So Paul's continuing this thought of this comparison. He says, look carefully then how you walk. Don't walk as unwise, but walk as wise. Okay? So be careful how you walk. Not as, not as somebody that's unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time. Making the best use of this moment. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He's saying right here that not understanding God's will is you being foolish. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul says, be careful. Be wise understand understand so we're not talking about a conscience that has been dulled down it is a conscience that is very aware 
of what is happening. When we are in the Spirit, we, the Spirit is active in us. We are very aware of what's going on around us from a spiritual standpoint. We, we see things differently. We hear things differently. Our experiences change we, because we're hearing from the Spirit. Is this making sense? Let me give you a case in point from the Old Testament because you know the Holy Spirit was at work in the Old Testament too, right? It, the difference was he would come upon people in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, he came into people. He was a dwelling. He dwelled in a temple in the Old Testament, but praise Jesus, he dwells within us now. This is why Jesus said, hey, it's good that I go because there's one that's greater that's going to come, the helper. In 2 Kings chapter 6, there was an army in Syria. They had surrounded all of Israel. So now there's a fear that the people of Israel are going to be taken over by the Syrians. And so they had surrounded Israel, and Elijah's servant was so distraught because he's in fear. It's over. Hope is lost because we have been surrounded by the Assyrians. And he says, look at their army. There's so many of them. We'll be destroyed. So what does Elijah do to give this guy the ability to cope with life? He buys him a drink or two. No, he doesn't. He did not give him alcohol to numb his mind. Instead, he prayed that God would open his servant's eyes to see all the reality. Now, who opens the eye, our eyes? The Spirit. So instead of trying to cope with this guy and say, hey, it's, we're probably going to die, but it's going to be okay. We're good. Don't fear. You got a sword. You got armor. He says, I'm going to pray that your eyes will be open to the reality of what's going on. And so Elijah prays over his servant. And when this young man opens his eyes, what he sees next is he sees chariots of fire surrounding the city. Because see, before, all he saw was the enemy. But when the Holy Spirit opened his eyes to the things that were happening around him, he saw that the enemy was surrounded by the army of God. How many times do we try to help numb people's pain with an earthly remedy instead of with the remedy of the Holy Spirit? That we pray for them. Prayer is the strongest, best thing that we could ever do for anybody. Because we go directly to the source. So no person who understands God in his way should, should need, ever need to numb themselves in reality. Right? Because the Holy Spirit is giving us life. Life is painful and numbing yourself doesn't help any of that. Paul says this, is that you know, God's Spirit can give us a hope that lifts us beyond pain. It's weird as believers, but when we're living in the Spirit, God empowers us through things. The Spirit empowers us through. Like in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says that we are sorrowful, yet we're always rejoicing. He says, yeah, we're poor, but somehow we always possess everything. Why? Because God provides, and we see things differently. Because we're living from a kingdom perspective. And so the fullness of the Spirit gives us wisdom of God's plan and helps us cope with life's pains and heartaches. So let's ask this question. When are we filled with the Holy Spirit? When? Because I know what it is. Being filled with the Spirit is Him taking up residence and us taking on the emotions of God and, and, and living out the principles and, and the teachings of Jesus. So when are we filled with the Holy Spirit? Paul says that to be filled is literally being filled 
continually. So it's not just a one-time event. There's, there's a continuation of being filled with the Holy Spirit. We'll, we'll see throughout the scriptures there, there are two kinds of filling of the Holy Spirit that people, they get confused a lot of times. Number one, there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is when the Holy Spirit grabs you and throws you in the water. Just kidding. Being baptized by the Holy Spirit, if you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit. Do you, you hear that? Because I think that needs to rattle some of you. If you are a follower of Jesus and you have surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus, you have the exact same Holy Spirit that we are reading about right here in this text, right now in your life, ready to be activated and ready to move and empower you to do the work of God. Can I get an amen? Because I think that's what scares us. That it's here, I don't know what to do with it. Can I just free your minds? You don't need to know what to do with it because you are in control of it. He is. Remember I told you the Holy Spirit goes by two things, wind and fire, combinations you don't want in your backyard. Can't be controlled. He's just asked us, this is why Jesus constantly tells us we need to be surrendering and denying ourselves and die to ourselves because it's really hard to follow the Holy Spirit when we have our own agendas. And so there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit. When you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit. I'll read this verse in Titus chapter 3. He says this, that when God our Savior revealed his kindness and his love, it says that, that he saved us not because of our righteousness. So he says he didn't save us because of anything that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us because of mercy. And he washed away our sins, giving us a new birth. And you ready for this? Giving us a new life through the Holy Spirit. I have come that you may have life and you may have it more abundantly. This, the thing that, that separates life from abundant life is the Holy Spirit. That's the key. Living a Spirit-filled life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, it tells us that our confession, when we say that Jesus is Lord, the only reason that we can say that is because we have been convicted by the Holy Spirit. So when have we been baptized by the Holy Spirit? Well, at salvation. You have the Holy Spirit indwelling within you right now. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, he says, Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, and if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. And if you're not saved, you don't have the Holy Spirit. So this, this tells us that we are baptized in the Spirit at the moment of salvation. Now, if we, if we look at these scriptures, there's two groups that are playing here. You, you have the Jewish people and you have the Gentiles. The Jews believe that the Messiah was for them, only for them, and the presence of God dwelled in the temple. The Gentiles had heard this message about God and about Jesus being the Messiah, and many Gentiles began to, to accept Jesus, to become followers. But they didn't understand this concept of the Holy Spirit. And so in Acts chapter 19... We find this verse where the Gentiles say, we, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. We've heard about this, this teaching of Jesus, and we, we started following this teaching of Jesus, but we didn't even know anything about the Holy Spirit. 
So if you remember, the Great Commission was that God's salvation would go where? All the world. The, the ethos. Every group. Every people group. So again, the Jews said, our, our group, our people. Not for you. But God said, we're going to go into all the world, to all the nationalities, all the people, every, every people group, every tribe, tribe, tongue, and tribe, and tribe, and tribe. Why can't I, I can't talk today. <laughs> if I keep saying that, I'll be speaking in tongues. Tribe, tongue, blah, blah, blah. And so, for a Jew, this was, this was a really hard concept to say, but this is where the Spirit has always dwelled in this temple with his people and now you're telling me because remember there's times that people have said things that have kind of shook your theology just a little bit and now they're coming along and saying no no the spirit dwells in anybody who follows jesus and so every time in the book of acts that the spirit breaks into a new group when it, when he breaks into new people is always signified in, in the ceremony type thing because you'll always read this, that they laid hands on them, right? They laid hands on them. When, when, we, when we prayed over our elders, we laid hands on them. The laying of hands was showing that there's an endorsement of the Holy Spirit on these men's lives. That's what it was. So we'll see this laying of hands. And, you ready? There was speaking of the tongues. Ooh, you believe in speaking of the tongues? Does Billy Graham have a quiet tongue? I do. I do believe that there's a, there's a gift of tongues. Have I done it? No. Have I prayed and asked God for it? I have. But it's a gift. But we get so weirded out by that. But God has given a language of tongues to pray. And we should not be worried or scared of any gift that he gives us. Why do we get so concerned with the gift of tongues that we don't worry about a gift of grace? We don't worry about the gift of mercy, but we get worried about the gift of tongue because we don't understand it. Can I tell you, you don't understand it because it's a heavenly language that God created for his people. It is a gift. If you have it, use it. Can I just tell you, I don't want to freak you out. There are people in this room that have that gift because I've heard them doing it. And they're often the people that you've asked to pray for you. Just saying. There's two. We make them give more. To the church because they're more holding their body up. The, sp the speaking of the tongue shows God's endorsement. There's, there's, a, there's a movement that is taking place. Each person within the same group doesn't get the same ceremony anymore because now it's, it's grown out to everybody. Everybody has, everybody has the gift. We, we okay so far? Okay, so, so we have a baptism of the Spirit and we have these recurring fill, uh, fillings of the Spirit, daily fillings that should be happening. We should be filled with the Holy Spirit. So there are many, many. One baptism and then recurring. We don't need to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and wonder if we have it. We need to pray for continuous and new fillings for the Holy Spirit's power and mission and communion with God. That's what we need to be longing for. We need to long for that. A lot of times people start focusing on the baptism of the Spirit and whether or not they have it, and they overlook the fact that it's already there, and God is wanting to fill them every single day, every single moment with His Spirit. 
And this is what causes the theological arguments that people have that have divided us into these denominations over this one topic because they're so scared of it instead of just to embrace it and let God do what God will do. We, we too often try to put theological boundaries around things that God has been trying to tear fences down, but we continually try to build walls around our, our beliefs because this is what we were always told. Unless the Bible has always told you that, you need to ground yourself in what the Scripture says and be okay to be okay with what God says. So he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, For we are all baptized by what? One spirit into one body, one church. We were all given the one spirit to drink. In other words, Paul says this, get drunk on the spirit. Drink of the spirit. So the last question is, this, how are we filled with the Holy Spirit then? There's these two baptisms and I'm a I'm follower of Jesus, I've surrendered to his lordship. And I've been filled? Now what? Now what happens? How am I filled with it? Well, some of you are not going to like this one. But singing and making melody, giving thanks. That doesn't mean that you need to sing out loud. There's probably some of you that we don't. But there is something going on in the soul that you're giving thanks. Because every time you think about the fact of where you were and what Jesus has done in your life to where you are today, you have to give thanks for that. You know how you come to that understanding? The Holy Spirit, He enlightens us. And every time we think, because it, it, the verse did say that when we come together, that we sing the, the psalms and the spiritual hymns together to one another. So it wouldn't be weird if, if two of you were walking through the lobby and y'all just started singing to each other. We would just say, oh, I guess they're just practicing what Paul said. But rejoicing in salvation of what God has done, sovereignty, it's the joy of salvation. That happens through prayer and submitting. Prayer and submitting. I am praying, I am hearing from the Spirit, I'm praying in line with the Spirit, I am praying in the Spirit, and I'm submitting to whatever it is that He's telling me to do. That's, that's the obedience piece of this. In Galatians chapter 3 says this, let me ask you one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? They want to know, did you get the Spirit because of what you've done? This is what he's writing to a church. He says, did you get it because you obeyed the laws of Moses? Because Good, you did all ten. Congratulations. Of course you did not. That's not how you got the Spirit. He says, you received the Spirit, you ready? Because you believed the message of Jesus. You heard about Christ and you believed in the message. Look what he says in verse 3. How foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to be perfect by your own human effort? Because when we get in the way, we will mess up what the Spirit is doing in a heartbeat. I have an agenda for my life. God has plans for it. You, you following me? Are you uncomfortable? Are you tense? Not trying to, not trying to tense you. I'm trying to set you free. There's too many churches in bondage over this very thing right here. Very thing. How can we be foolish over this? Are we starting our new lives in the spirit? Are we now trying to become perfect by our own human effort? That's how you're filled by the spirit. 
You're rejoicing in the salvation. It's a, it's a posture of thankfulness. But while we're on that, let me tell you how you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. We're not filled when we quench the Holy Spirit. It's an interesting Greek word there. It means to put out a fire. Because we can stop the Holy Spirit working our lives and just going, I don't want to do this anymore. Matter of fact, he says in 1 Thessalonians, do not quench the Spirit. Now, last time I heard the words do not, that meant there was a command, right? And, and so let me break this down really, really easy. Here's what Paul's saying. You ready? Do not quench the Spirit. If God's at work in something, don't quench it. Blow on it and let the embers continue to burn. If we look back over this revival that broke out in Kentucky, so many people questioned it. Is this really a move of God? They're going to start writing. They wrote their articles. They wrote their blogs. They did their podcasts. They put their sarcastic tweets out there. And I'm going, look, if the Spirit is moving, the Spirit is moving on it. We need to fan the embers. No, it did not look like what we thought it would look like, but I'll be honest with you. If I had been sitting in the upper room that day and tongues of fire had hit mighty rushing winds, I don't know that I would have accepted that either, but we have to let the Spirit do with Spirit things, and if it's what the Spirit is doing, we need to blow the embers and let that fire continue to blow instead of trying to put the fire out. You want to know why the moves of God aren't happening in America? Because we are allowing ourselves to put the fire out. Because we question everything the Holy Spirit does. His ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. They did not think the Messiah would come in the way that the Messiah had come. I mean, he will use anybody, anything. He used a bunch of teenagers to change the world. They, did, they didn't know any better. So they follow Jesus, and they take on his teachings, and they change the world, all of them. Because they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. So don't quench the Spirit. This means that when you resist him, when, when you know that you need to be repenting of a sin, and you put that off, and you, you don't do that, you quench the Spirit. When you're pushing away conviction, you are quenching the Spirit. When you're entertaining sin, you are quenching the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, it told us that, that we, we have this desire against things of the Holy Spirit, our sinful nature. So walk in the Spirit and not fulfill your desires of the flesh. John Owen says this, Every sin weakens and darkens the soul. Every sin weakens and darkens the soul. He would go on to say that you need to kill sin or sin will be killing you. When we are in fellowship with the Holy Spirit and we feel that we need to, we're convicted and need to repent, we need to repent. If not, we quench the fire that the Spirit is burning. And ember by ember, that fire will go out if we do not protect it. You can also not just quench the Spirit. You can also grieve the Holy Spirit. He, he goes on to say this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. He says, do not bring sorrow or bring grief. The, the word there is grieve in the, in the New Living Translation. He says, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you what? Mm. I love this part of the verse, though. 
remember that he has identified you as his own. Let that sink for just a minute. He has identified you as his own. That's a good part, isn't it? It's okay to say amen. Nobody's coming after you. This is, a, this is the part of rejoicing in the spirit. When we, you want to know why people say amen? Because there's something that's going right here that they got to get it out. Because we have been identified as his sons and his daughters. And here's the best part of that verse. Guarantee, there's a guarantee that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Oswald Sanders says, to grieve is a term that, bes- that bespeaks love. An enemy can frustrate you, but you can only be grieved in relation to something that you love. And that's how God's Spirit feels about us. So you can grieve the Holy Spirit by the way you live, proclaiming to be a follower, but yet living opposite of that. And here's the last thing. You can also reject the Holy Spirit. He tells them in Genesis chapter 6, my spirit will not always strive with man. Where you reject the Holy Spirit to the point that he doesn't always strive with you. He'll just leave you alone. We call that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But I would actually call that an unforgivable sin. When we decide, we'll hear it because the, the Holy Spirit will not. And when we refuse to respond to that, eventually that fire goes away. So my thing is, don't do those three things. The Holy Spirit is always present in the gospel. And not every revival is real revival. But that's not my place to make that judgment call. My place is to pray that the Holy Spirit will be at work and and move in the hearts and lives of people. There was a revival back in Los Angeles that took place on April the 9th of 1906, and it continued until about 1915. That was a long revival. The Azusa Street Revival. There's a quote that came out of that that said this, the solution to the problems of the church today is to solve the individual Christian's problems. And the solution to these problems is a person, the Holy Spirit. He is the antidote for every era, the power for every weakness, the victory for every defeat, and the answer for every need. And he is available to every believer, for he lives in his heart and his life. The answer and the power have already been given us in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what launched a revival. We pray for revivals to break, but before they break corporately into the whole body, they have to take place individually into the lives of the people. God wants to, has empowered you to do a work in you. Drinking the Spirit means that we set our minds on things of the Spirit. 
And setting our minds on the things of the Spirit means directing our eager attention to the teaching of the apostles about God and to the words of Jesus. And if we'll do this long enough, we'll get drunk with the Spirit. In fact, we'll get addicted to the Spirit. And instead of chemical dependency, we will develop a wonderful spirit dependency. What's our takeaway today? Go get drunk on the Holy Spirit. Let him quench thirst. Listen, a lot of the issues you're facing, you don't have to face if you you allow the Holy Spirit to do it. Because sometimes we do things, I was talking to a pastor this week, and he said, I'm about to do that. I said, don't do that. I've already paid that dumb tax. I've been there, done that. Don't, let me help you with that. Don't do it. He said, well, how did you do that? I said, because I was dumb and I didn't ask the Holy Spirit what to do, so I made a decision. It was a really bad decision, and that's what it cost. A lot of the, the problems and the pains that we have in our life, stuff that we're inviting in, because instead of going to the Spirit to allow the Spirit to work through us, we're just bringing in our, our, our method to fix. I know the people in this room right now, I know you're, right now, I know you're struggling. There's things that you are struggling with right now. There's questions, there's doubts that you don't know, and here's what I'm saying. Release the Holy Spirit on those things. Take the leash off the Spirit. The only thing that needs to be put on the leash is the enemy. Let the Spirit roam. Let him move. Release him on those issues, on those problems, on those emotions. Father, I pray right now. I pray that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Even in this moment, right now, wherever you're sitting, Just hold your hands out and and ask him to fill you right now. Holy Spirit, fill me right now. Let's say it out loud. Holy Spirit, fill me right now. Holy Spirit, fill me right now. God, I pray that you would move in this place right this second. You have given us the gift of your spirit, our comforter, our convictor, the one who enlightens. Father, I pray that we would embrace you. We cannot make it through life the way that you intended without the Holy Spirit. So may right now we embrace that. May we feel, be filled. May we sing and rejoice right now because of what you've done in and through our lives in this moment. Holy Spirit, thank you for what you're going to do in this place. Fill us, Lord. May our cups overflow in this moment. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing.